Warren Wearsby has said, uniformity is the result of compulsion from the outside. Unity is the result of compassion on the inside. Uniformity is the result of compulsion from the outside. Unity is the result of compassion on the inside. And what we know is that only God can bring real, lasting change within. Only God can bring real, lasting unity. And the way that God does that, it's not a mystery, it's not a surprise, it's not a secret, is He does it by way of the cross. You must go by the way of the cross to see the change that God can bring from within. So I've titled today's sermon, From Within, and we're going to continue on in our series that I've titled Jesus First. We're going through the book of Colossians, and we're going to just pick up where we left off at, which is Colossians 1. 22 and 23, but we'll read verses 19 through 23 first just to get the context of where we left off at. So I'm going to read Colossians 1 verses 19 through 23, and then we'll really focus on verses 22 and 23 today. Colossians 1 beginning at verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in Him, that's Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to himself by him, that's Jesus, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in his body of his flesh, in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. That's as far as we'll get today. But just to refresh your memory a little bit, in, in verse 19, Paul told us that, that all that God is, Jesus is. And when Jesus walked among us, when you saw Jesus, you saw God. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the miracle of the incarnation is that the holy God that shakes the mountain, that spoke the heavens and earth into existence, that he also took on the flesh of man, dwelt among us, walked among us, without consuming us in his holiness. And Jesus walked among us, but not just to give us an example, not just to give us teachings to follow, although he did give us an example, although he did teach us, but Jesus primarily came to die. That was his mission. And by him, verse 20 says, to reconcile all things to himself. Now you have to receive salvation by faith. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The blood of his cross. John MacArthur had a good quote on this statement, the blood of his cross. He begins by quoting Hebrews 9.22. He says, without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Then he goes on to say, I affirm that truth and have never denied it. But the shedding of blood in Scripture is an expression that means much more than just bleeding. It refers to violent death. If just bleeding could buy salvation, why did Jesus not simply bleed without dying? 
Of course, he had to die to be the perfect sacrifice. And without his death, our redemption could not have been purchased by his blood. We miss the fact about the brutality of the cross. That God not only took on flesh, that not only did he become a man, did he not only have a body, he left heaven and earth not to just, you know, like go to the doctor and have a little finger prick and give some blood and say, there it is, salvation is provided. No, God, there's a lot of talk these days about don't step on my rights. God gave up his rights. God laid down his rights. God said, I'm dying not only for your sins, but I'm dying in your place. See, that's love. To look at someone else in need and to say, I'm going to do whatever it costs me to care for you above myself. And what happened on the cross was not just a little finger prick. It was God pouring out his life unto death on behalf of sinners that were shaking their fist at him, saying, let his blood be on us and our children. In other words, we hate him so much, we don't care if we're found guilty for his death. And the grace of God is that the very ones that were vehemently swearing at him and cursing him were the ones that he was dying for. We're the crowd. We're the ones. We're those that shake our fist every day when we sin. And yet Christ endured not just the little bit of a shedding of blood, but the violent death of the cross. God laying down every right that he had to strike us in his holiness. And not only dying for our sins, but dying in our place. And because that has happened, because that is real, because he has really done that, then you continue on with verse 21. What I want you to understand is that if you don't have verse 20, if you don't have the blood of the cross, you don't have the good stuff that we're about to get to the rest of this morning. And if this morning as, I, as I'm talking about the cross, if you begin to check out, if you think that you've plumbed the depths of the cross, you need to think again. I firmly believe I could preach every day until the day that Christ returns on the cross of Christ and I would not exhaust the richness of the cross. And we just begin to see a little bit of the richness of the cross in these verses. He has reconciled, he's made peace through the blood of his cross. Then it goes on to continue to explain it. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by your wicked works, now he's reconciled. We've already preached on that, so I'm not going to belabor it, but... We must understand that apart from faith in Christ, we're not just kind of a little bad trying to be better so God will accept us. We are God's enemy shaking our fist at him in rebellion, hopeless, dead in our sin. Completely alienated from God. There is no hope for us apart from Jesus Christ. But Christ has come. Christ has died. And so through the blood of his cross, there is peace. And we are now, we are taken from being enemies of God to being reconciled with God. Recon reconciled. God doesn't, God doesn't even hold us at arm's distance saying, well, let's see what you're going to do now. God just says, no, because of my son, come here. And he pulls us near. He brings us in. And then verse 22 for today, in the body of his flesh. So it's going back. Paul is really driving home the point 
that this is all because God prepared a body for himself and came to this world and died on a cross. And if you take that away, then none of these other things become true. But if you go to the cross, you will find great richness that this side of heaven, we will never exhaust the grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. In his body of his flesh, he really did it. He really walked among us. He really died. He was really pierced. He was really beaten. He really endured the wrath of the Father in my place for my sins, the death that I should have died. In the body of his flesh through death. And why did he do it? Look at verse 22. To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Now, where it says to present you in most of our English translations, in the Greek, it is actually an infinitive of purpose. Or it could be an infinitive of result. But another way that you could legitimately translate it would be to make you or to render you as, and then he gives three adjectives, holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. What God does through the cross is he makes you into something new that you could never be on your own. And then he gives three adjectives. This is very important. This is why we believe that every word of the scripture is inspired even an adjective instead of an adverb. Let me explain what I mean by that. Three adjectives that describe who you are in Jesus, through the cross, and only that way. Why is it important that those are three adjectives instead of adverbs? Well, if you'll remember in 1 Corinthians, where we often look before we take the Lord's Supper, Paul is having to deal with the sin in the church at Corinth. And, and they were in such sin that the way they were partaking of the Lord's Supper, they were getting drunk and they were being gluttons and they were not considering the needs of others. They were just advocating what they wanted, doing what they wanted to do. And it was so offensive to God that God struck some of them dead for the way they were taking the Lord's Supper. So Paul admonishes them to take it in a worthy way. And that is an adverb there. He's telling them to come to the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. That means that the way in which they come to the Lord's Supper, they needed to come in such a way of saying, God, as best as I know how today, help me to come in a worthy manner to your table with, with sin confessed, with sin repented of, dealing in love towards my brothers and sisters. That is a worthy manner. See, if he had said, adjective in that place, you must come to Lord's Supper worthy, we'd all be hopeless. Is there ever a point where you can stand before the blood and the body of Christ and say, I'm worthy of that? See what a difference it makes between an adjective and an adverb? In 1 Corinthians, it's an adverb, come in a worthy manner. But here in Colossians, three adjectives, which means that when you come to the cross, God makes you something that you could never earn in your own merit. God makes you holy, adjective. God makes you blameless, adjective. God makes you without blemish, adjective. 
It is something that is describing how God actually sees you. Isn't that amazing? And all of that is through and because of the cross. And so what I want to do today is I want to tease these out a little bit more. So our first point is going to have three subpoints to it. And first of all, it's this. As you go to the cross, Jesus makes you. We're going, to descri- we're going to talk about these three things. As you go to the cross, and let me emphasize this. There's no other way for these three adjectives to be true of you apart from the cross. It doesn't matter your Sunday school attendance. It doesn't matter your giving record. It doesn't matter how good you've been. It doesn't matter your parents or your grandparents' faith. All that matters is have you gone to the cross? Have you cast yourself upon the cross of Jesus Christ, realizing that in and of ourselves we are hopeless sinners, estranged from God, at war with God, and the only way that we can be reconciled to God and saved is through faith in Jesus Christ, who died in my place. If you have come to that place and you have put your faith in Jesus, then the Word of God says that God, through Jesus, makes you this. And as you go to the cross, Jesus makes you, first of all, holy. Look again at verse 22. In the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy. Jesus wants to present you to the Father as holy. And that's exactly what he does through the cross. One commentator I read said this, the only way God could welcome us into his presence is by first making us holy. Now, there is that sense in the Old Testament where God tells his people, be holy for I am holy. And we see that reiterated in the New Testament regarding the way that we live. But all of it is in response to the gospel, in response to what Jesus has done, in response to who Jesus has made us, then this is how we are to live. It's never earn holiness. It's never do so many good works that you achieve holiness. It is trust in Christ who makes you holy and then allow your actions to demonstrate what God has done within. You follow me on that? Uh, Here, where he's using as an adjective holy, the same Greek word is used earlier in the epistle, But in a different way is a noun where Paul says to the saints who are in Colossae, to those who are set apart. And I want you to understand it's not a different set of Christians. You know, I'll tell you that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. You live in a world that's going to put you down. You live in a world that wants to accuse you. You live in a world that wants you to see yourself as this low, down, dirty, despicable sinner. And you know what? We need to acknowledge our sin before God. Anything less is the pride of life. But we also, this is the amazing thing of the gospel, is that we at one hand could admit just how hopeless we are, but at the very same time, we can see how dearly loved we are, of how great God values us. We can see that in Jesus Christ, while in and of ourselves we are hopeless, but in Jesus Christ we are holy. That's the message of the gospel. You see, it puts it all on Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about what he's done. And through faith in him, God sees us as holy. That's really, now look. Does Jesus fail at what he does? It's not a trick question, no. So if the Bible says that through his cross, Jesus presents you before the Father as holy, 
then that's what happens. Because God's word has spoken on it. The matter is settled. To present you holy. And then the next word is what? Blameless. It gets even better. So as you go to the cross, Jesus not only makes you one holy, but he too makes you blameless. To make you blame. Now, I think we all know the opposite of that, right? If we're honest. We understand what it is to do something that's wrong, and then you go, oh, man. And you just, you suffer the consequences, and you feel bad, and you feel guilty, and you feel that way to blame. That's just part of the human experience. We all get things wrong at times. Amen? Man, I know the rest of y'all are perfect out there. I'm just talking about myself. But we know what it is to have that blame, to realize, man, I did wrong. But through Jesus Christ, the Bible says that God, the Father, our reality before him is that we're blameless. Do you begin to understand the depths of God's good grace through Jesus Christ? This word is really a reference, again, back to the Old Testament like holy is. And that when a sacrifice was brought, okay, I've sinned, and now I'm bringing a sacrifice. And this sacrifice is going to die in my place. And the blood of this sacrifice is going to be shed in place of my blood. And my guilt is transferred to this sacrifice, and this sacrifice is going to provide a covering for my sin. Now, that sacrifice that had to be brought, the way it was described all through the law, is one of the main words was blameless. Without spot, without blemish, it had to be a certain way. In fact, I had somebody ask me just this morning, why did God uh, look down on Cain's sacrifice but accept Abel's? Well, you see in Genesis that Abel brought the first of his flock, the best, the fat. Cain just brought something. He didn't bring God what was blameless. He didn't bring God the best. So if I'm presenting this sacrifice, I bring this animal that is blameless, and this blameless animal who's, who has done nothing wrong, that has no fault of its own, it now dies in my place. Now, fast forward to Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God without sin, who has died in my place, and because of the cross, now God actually looks at me, and when the Father sees me, and when Jesus presents me to the Father, the Father does not see my sin, he sees me as blameless because of the Son. And that's in direct opposition to Satan, who is called the accuser of the brethren, Again, this is why you must preach the gospel daily to yourself. Because God says you're this way, but the world, the flesh, and the devil want you to say you're another way. Now, why am I coming back to that? Because as long as you believe the world, the flesh, and the devil, you'll act like they're telling you that you are. But if you will preach the truth of God to yourself daily and say, no, this is who I am in Jesus, then maybe you'll actually act like it. And so God's word says that you're holy in Jesus. You're set apart to him. Remind yourself of that. This isn't about building your ego or having more self-esteem. This is about understanding the grace of God. And in the midst of my sin, through Jesus Christ, God the Father looks at me and says, holy. Not only that, but he sees me as blameless. And so when the accuser of the brethren is accusing me over and over and over again, I can say, no, Christ has died for that. The Father sees me as blameless. 
There are so many verses in Scripture, I had to just stop because I was going to show how this relates to other verses, and we would have been here for days to understand the depths of the cross that I'm blameless before God. I mean, I have to live with myself every day. I'm not blameless. Through Jesus, God says I am. And then he goes on to say, above reproach in his sight. Now, the word that Paul is using here that he's pulling over into Scripture from the Greek, uh, just it's more of a technical term, and it is a legal term. It was used more in legal proceedings. And what it was meaning was that this person was so cleared of charges that no accusation could be brought before them anymore. So what it's saying is that this person has been so acquitted of all charges, so proven uh, to be right, so proven to be innocent and faultless and blameless that the judge will no longer even hear an accusation against them anymore. And so this person has been declared so right that when somebody came to bring an accusation, the judge would say, I'm not even going to listen to that because this person is above reproach. The word of God says that through the blood of his cross, we we have had peace made between us and our Father. We have been reconciled to our Father. And through his body of flesh, through Jesus' body of flesh, I am now presented before the heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. I am holy, adjective. That describes me. I am blameless now. That describes me. I am above reproach. That describes how my Father now sees me in Jesus Christ. God will not accept two payments for the same sin. And that's the only reason why we can be blameless before the Father. You see, if we understand that Christ has truly died not only for our sins but in our place, the debt has been paid. You can't bring an accusation. You can't bring up something that's already been dealt with. It's already been dealt with. It's done. You see, that's why, that's why the Father can look at us. Because, see, the Father, he not only knows what we've done that we don't want anybody else to know about, he knows the thoughts that go through our minds, and he knows what we will do in the future. Isn't that scary? Now, if you could see every way that somebody would shake their fist, rebel at you, because that's what sin is, it's outright rebellion against the Father. If, If you knew every way that somebody would fail you, and shake their fist at you, rebel at you, commit treason against your kingdom, if you knew every way that they would do that, not only today, but in the future, would you still call them blameless? Would you say they're above reproach? Would you call them holy? That seems kind of insane, doesn't it? I mean, we would more be like, no, I know how you are. Why don't you stay over here and I'm going to go over there, right? But you see, God who dwells beyond time in eternity, he sees all that we are through the lens of Jesus Christ. So therefore, when he sees us, he can say, that is my child who is holy. That is my child who is blameless. That is my child who is above 
reproach. And none of it has to do with our good works. It is all because of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that comforting? Because you know what that means? It means it will never fail. You see, if it was on us to work up, to conjure up, to build enough good credit for them that to be true of us, oh, what a life of fear and misery that would be. But because that is all in Jesus Christ, it is ever faithful and true and will never fail. And that's always how my God will see me. And then look at this in verse 22 at the end, above reproach in his sight, speaking of the Father. You could literally translate this as to present you, and then those three adjectives, right down in the eye of. That would be a literal translation. So Jesus takes all of us that have put our faith in Christ, he brings us and he sets us right down in the eye of the Father, right in front of the Father. In the Father's full view, the Father who sees all. And Jesus is pleased that through his cross, we can be presented to the Father, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Now, verse 23, last verse for today. It begins with this little word, if. It could be confusing. In fact, verses like this are where false doctrine have come from. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now that sounds like you can lose your salvation. I've just been preaching to you this whole time about how our salvation is in Jesus Christ and we can't lose it. It's not going to be undone because Christ is faithful and it's all about him, not about our works. So what's the deal with this if? If indeed you continue, so does that mean if I don't continue, if I'm not steadfast, if I'm not grounded, if I'm not, does that mean I can lose my salvation? No, this is where we have a difficulty moving from the Greek to English. In the Greek, this is actually a first class conditional clause, which in the vernacular is that it is an argument that is assumed true. If I were to say to you, hey, you're going to pick me up today at four, right? What am I assuming? I am assuming it is true that you're going to pick me up today at four. We understand this. This is what Paul is doing in the Greek. He's saying you are holy, you are blameless, you are without reproach, and I am confident that you will, in other words. I know because these things are true of you that you will do this. You will continue in the faith. You will stay grounded and steadfast. And you will not be moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. But let's look at those things real quick. And then I'm going to give you our second and our final point. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith. Man, it's sad that so many people don't. We've even seen uh, Christian artists. Like what was the guy from Hawk Nelson and others that are just abandoning the faith. Well, what the word of God is teaching is not that they were once believers and they fell away, but that because they have walked away, it proves that they were never actually believers in the first place. That's the correct doctrine. Now, I have seen and known of evangelists that have misused this and tried to get legitimately saved believers to doubt their salvation so they can get a bunch of baptisms logged in. And I'm not advocating that. But we must 
examine ourselves to see if we are actually in the faith. And Paul is saying that if you are in the faith and you are holy and you are blameless and you are without reproach, then he's saying then I'm also confident that you will remain in the faith. That you'll not abandon that which you know which is true. What's crazy is, as soon as God gave his word, there were those that wanted to distort it. Beginning in the Garden of Eden with the serpent. I mean, as soon as the New Testament began to be written, there were false doctrine that came with that. Several of the epistles, I mean, we're talking about first century epistles, were having to already deal with false doctrine. I mean, as soon as you have truth, you're going to have untruth right there with it. We must continue in the faith. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's hard right now, isn't it? We have so much. I already talked about this a couple weeks ago. Before a, a worldwide pandemic and before all the racial discord in our nation, before all of the unrest that was going on, we already had a lot of life happening. You already had the wayward children. You already had the sickness in your family. You already had the trouble at work. You already had the financial stress. Like life was already happening. And then you pile all this on top of it. What are we to do? Well, we're to act like Christians. I mean, that's what you do. I mean, that doesn't ever change. You go back to the faith. You go back to God's Word. Like I told you a few weeks ago, maybe you get off Facebook for a few weeks and you get into God's Word more because God's Word has not changed. God is true. God has not abandoned us. God is still working And so what I need is to get alone and get quiet with him and allow him to keep me in the faith. If indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast, this has to do with the foundation. You're staying true. You're staying anchored in him and are not moved away. Again, this has to do with the foundation. And this is so key because... um, in, in Colossae especially, we believe that there were some legalistic Judaizers, and then we believe that there were some Greeks that were teaching this new mystic religion, and, and they were using this language of you need this new experience, this new experience. You need this new knowledge, this new revelation. And what Paul is saying is, no, you don't need anything new. You have everything that you need in the gospel. What you need to do is you need to stay grounded in the gospel, And if you stay grounded and steadfast and immovable in that, then you're going to be okay. If indeed you continue in the faith, number one, grounded and steadfast, number two, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. You don't need anything new. You just need to grow in what you already know, which was preached to every creature under heaven, which is probably hyperbole. I mean, Paul had not gone all over the world at that point, of which I, Paul, became a minister And you can translate that word as servant. Paul sees himself as a servant of the gospel. This brings us to our second final point, be done momentarily, is this. Those who go the way of the cross will endure to the end. There are many that fall away, and sadly that's just evidence that they never truly were his. But those who truly are his who are holy, who are blameless, who are above reproach, you will endure till the end. In Matthew chapter 7, there are three very chilling verses. Jesus says, many will come to me. Many will come to me in that day. 
And in essence, what Jesus says is they're going to come and they're going to think they're mine. And they're going to say things like, well, we cast out demons in your name. And we did this in your name. And we preached in your name. And we did this. Many are going to come to me and say, I did this and I did this and I did this in your name. But Jesus said, but my words to them will be, depart from me, for I never knew you. Isn't that scary? We can do a whole lot of things in Jesus' name, but never actually know Jesus. But when you go the way of the cross and you know Jesus, you will persevere to the end. And you will not do it because you're that strong. You will not do it because you're an American. You will not do it because you're a Texan. You will not do it because you're an East Texan. You will do it because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, filled with his spirit, and the power that works in you is the same power that raised Christ from the dead, and that power will not fail you. Those who go the way of the cross will endure to the end. I have a closing illustration for you. I heard about a pastor who visited a young man that had been severely burned. And this man had been so severely burned that he had to spend the majority of his days, I don't remember how many hours a day it was, but he spent the majority of the hours each day just laying in bed. The burns were so severe uh, and they were having to do skin grafts and all this stuff where he just visited him regularly as he was recovering from his burns. And one day, after the pastor had been visiting him for many months, the young man said, I just wish God would do a miracle and heal me. I'm just ready to get this pain over with. I'm ready to get on the other side of this. I just wish God would do a miracle and heal me. The pastor said, son, God is doing a miracle. It's not the miracle maybe that you've been looking for or even hoping for. But he said, I have watched you grow in patience and kindness. I have watched you grow in a sensitivity to the Lord and in a hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. And that is a miracle. You see, only God can change us from within. And when we go the way of the cross... That is exactly what God does. He will even change your desires. Listen, he will even change your desires to where that which you once did, loved to do, and pursued now has no longer any appeal to you because you are wrapped up in the love of Jesus Christ. God will do that. He is faithful. He is true. And through Jesus Christ, You can be before the Father, holy, blameless, and without reproach, above reproach in his sight. As we conclude our service this morning, as I said, this is all true as we go the way of the cross. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, you've never gone the way of the cross, that's not true of you yet. But it can be. That as we acknowledge our great need of a Savior and Jesus as that Savior, believing in Christ, we are saved. God forgives us and he fills us with his spirit and he makes these things true of us. And he enables to live as these things are true of us. And it's all about him. So maybe there are some of you here today that realize, man, it's time for me to 
quit trying to do that on my own. Maybe we need to be honest enough to go, it's just not working out, and it never will. But by faith, I can take the way God's provided. Maybe that's where some of you need to start, but maybe but others of you, it's, it's time to preach to ourselves daily who we are in Jesus Christ. To drown out these other noises, to say, no, this is who God says I am in Jesus. And here's what I will bet. If you, Romans says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God's kindness that leads us to repentance. I bet if you will allow yourself to be overwhelmed with the richness of God's kindness in Jesus Christ, that you'll begin to live like God says that you are. I'd take that bet any day. Allow yourself to be overwhelmed with the fact that you are holy in Jesus Christ. Allow yourself to be overwhelmed with the fact that you are blameless in Jesus Christ. Allow yourself to be overwhelmed with the fact that you are above reproach in Jesus Christ. Allow that goodness of God to sink deep into your heart. How can it but change you? How can it but change you? I'm going to ask you if you could maybe just bow your head and close your eyes with me. And I'm going to close this in prayer. And, and, and bowing our heads and closing our eyes, there's nothing spiritual in that act. But I'm just, just get us focused for a moment. Just on the presence of God for a moment. Together. And maybe if there's some of you here today that say, I, I need that Jesus. I I need to know him, and I need him to know me. I need to be saved. A, a prayer does not save you. Jesus saves you. And as you call out to him in faith, he will save you. So if it's your heart's desire to be saved, then you just pray something like this. Tell God what's in your heart. Say, dear God, I, I confess my sin to you. I've rebelled against you. And I can't save myself. But I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sin in my place. And I believe that Jesus rose again from the grave. And if I believe in him, that you, God, will forgive me. You'll fill me with your spirit. And you'll make these things true of me. So today, I believe in Jesus. I take him as my Lord, as my Savior, and I ask you now, Lord, help me, help me now to not only know who I am in you, but to live like it from this moment forward. Maybe there's some of us this morning that we realize that we've been trying to earn that status with God. We've been trying to earn that favor with God. Maybe we just need to take a moment to give God thanks and say, Father, thank you that in Jesus I'm holy. Show me what it means to live like that today. Father, I thank you that in Jesus Christ I am blameless. Forgive me for believing the lies. Show me what it looks like to live blameless today. Father, thank you that I am in Jesus Christ above reproach. Show me what it means to live above reproach today. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and your grace towards us. It is your kindness that leads us to repentance. May we turn from our way and our striving, casting ourselves upon you. May your goodness overwhelm us and change us. And may you receive the glory for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.